0: Well, beloved, take your Bible that I pray that you have brought with you this morning and turn with me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5, wonderful letter written to the churches of Rome by the Apostle Paul explaining to us the beautiful doctrine of justification by faith alone and, and what that means. And we will look at some of that today, but not entirely in depth. It's going to surround what it is that we're going to talk about because he goes in depth to explain how it is that we are justified by faith alone and how that works. (laughs) Today, beloved, we celebrate what is typically referred to as Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. Uh, by the way of the liturgical calendar. What we are celebrating are, is that we are recalling and remembering the week of Christ before His crucifixion. Some refer to it as the passion of Christ uh, based upon the Latin word passus or suffering. The final week of Christ before His death, burial, and resurrection. Now what happened here? Well, well the scriptures say that He rode into Jerusalem as a king sitting upon a young colt. And the crowds laid palm branches at His feet and called out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. What we have pictured is Christ entering as the Messiah King and being recognized by the crowds, being recognized by many Jews as such as Messiah King. However, A few days later, he would be condemned by the Jews as a blasphemer. He would be illegally tried as a criminal and placed upon a cross and crucified as the worst of the worst of the worst. All the while the people continually calling for his death. This is what we typically refer to Again, as His Passion Week or all of this leading us up to Good Friday, the Friday before Easter. And beloved, more often than not, while we certainly acknowledge the death of Christ, our attention usually is drawn more... I don't think it's on purpose but it, it usually tends to be drawn more towards the resurrection and, and what ends up happening is we do not adequately reflect upon what the death of Christ actually accomplished what we must understand today is that the death of Christ was not simply the death of a martyr that, that sparked a movement called Christianity no the scriptures describe the life and death of Christ as a work as an atoning work whereby a price was paid so there was an actual transaction that occurred and as a result reconciliation to god was made martin luther and others referred to this as the divine or the magnificent exchange through which the price for sin was paid god's wrath was satisfied And man could then be justified or deemed righteous by faith and faith alone before God Almighty. Well, that brings us to our text in Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 12 as to actually what Christ accomplished on the cross as we begin to think about this week of Palm Sunday and meditate leading to Good Friday and ultimately towards Resurrection Sunday. Let's read verses 12 through 21. Listen to what Paul says. He says, Therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. Underline that if you can. much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And today we're going to talk about the grace of God and the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ what a wonderful wonderful thing to think about on this lord's day in our text as we just mentioned a few moments ago about this divine exchange this is exactly what we see by the grace of god through the atoning work of his life and his death jesus christ made reconciliation for god or excuse me to god for man Now, what we need to understand and grasp here today is that in our text, Paul is drawing a comparison. He is comparing two men. Adam, the first man, and Jesus Christ, whom Paul would later describe in Corinth or in the book of Corinthians as the second man. There are some comparisons to be drawn here, and then there are some drastic contrasts that we can also draw The first thing that we need to see is that both were men. Adam, the first man, and Jesus, the Christ, the second man, fully God, but fully man nonetheless. Both were representative heads, in other words, they had a people whom they represented. Both performed acts that would directly have an effect upon those whom they represent. And what we will come to see in this text as Paul explains this work of reconciliation by Christ, what we will come to see is that one man's act brought death. But the other man's act brought life and reconciliation with God. Beloved, I want us to see today that as believers, we can rejoice because of the grace of God through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ. Beloved, I want to tell you today that if you are in Christ, you are reconciled to God. I'm going to let that sink in and I'm going to say it one more time. If you are in Christ today, beloved, here in the sound of my voice. I want you to have the assurance that you have been reconciled to God. Amen and amen. Let's look at what the text shows us today. The first thing that the text shows us as we look at this reconciliation is it describes, Paul describes the first man. He says, the first man brought death. And as we look at verses 12 through 14, what we come to see is we learn of the doctrine of original sin, of how Adam is our our federal head, our representative of all of mankind broke covenant fellowship with God by his disobedience. We see this in Genesis chapter 3. He's given the command in Genesis chapter 2. You can eat of every fruit of the tree but this one Adam. And yet Adam does. He disobeys the command of God. And as a result, he condemns all of mankind to not just a physical death, but an eternal death, an eternal separation from God and from fellowship with Him. Paul states this in verse 12. He says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Hear this today, beloved. One sin condemned Adam and all who he represented. All of us became inhabited with a sin nature we became born with a propensity an inclination to sin just one sin one sin condemned not only Adam but the entire human race even despite the fact that we had physically committed no sin we see this in Ephesians 2 Paul describes and says that we are all dead in our sins and our trespasses See, here, beloved, is what accomplished, or what was accomplished by the first man. Here is what the first man, Adam, did. Two things. He substituted himself for God. He substituted himself for God. By disobeying God's command, he says, I know better than God. He substituted himself for God. And then he asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God is supposed to be. Did, Did you catch all of that? He's man substituted. Adam substituted himself for God. He said, I know better than God Almighty. And then he asserted himself against God and sought to put himself in the position that was only for God. In other words, Don Carson says this. He says, it's our attempt to de-God God. God." What a concept. What a thought. That that is what we do when we sin. We seek to de-God God. Why did we need the atoning work of Christ? Why do we need to be reconciled to God? Well, we must see what was truly accomplished by the disobedience of the first man. Here are a few of these things. Listen to this. Fellowship with God was lost immediately. Do you remember God's reply to Adam? Adam, where are you? Where are you? We became enslaved to sin. We became enslaved to death. All of us died. All of us sinned. We took upon the curse of God upon us. The curse of God. Worked by the sweat of our brow. Pain in childbirth. A, a desire for a, for a flipping of the, of the roles in the man and the woman. But a complete turning upon its head of what God had designed us to be. And, us, and our purpose to serve. We took upon the curse of God of the punishment for sin, which was death and separation forever in a place called hell. An eternal condemnation. That is what happened. We substituted ourselves for God. We asserted ourselves against God and we put himself... We put ourselves where only God is supposed to be. And as a result, everything is turned upside down to such the extent that in Romans 3, Paul says that no man seeks for God in and of himself. That apart from the the salvific work of Christ, no man seeks for God. In fact, not, not only does no man seek for God, no man even fears God and we see this even in our world today, beloved. Don't believe me? Let me look at three areas real quickly in our world where this applies to us today. The first that is very re- uh, relevant, very very uh, uh, able to be viewed easily is in society. Think about this for just a moment, beloved. We celebrate the fact that in our nation today we spend billions on something called climate change while the blood of over 63 million babies that have been aborted cries out. Think of this for just a moment, beloved. That the company Nike has just recently put out their shoes that they call Satan shoes. This shoe designed by Little Nas X, who is a rapper. It's a shoes that contain pentagrams on the front and an actual real drop of blood embedded in the sole of the shoe. Inside of the box, it is illustrated with demons. This is all based on a video where Little Nas X himself descends to hell while displaying despicable acts and actually removes a crown that is to be placed on Satan's head and puts it on himself proclaiming himself to be God. And just in case you think that this is far from you and your children, the latest headline from Music News reads this about Little Nas X. Children are his core audience right now, and that's okay. Beloved, it is right in front of our eyes. Everything is turned upside down. Everything is turned up on his head. Everything reeks of sin. But it's not just in society, it's in the church. Where we've replaced the preaching of the whole counsel of the word, the whole counsel of the gospel of Christ, with a soft, feel-good message of moralistic, therapeutic deism that has such lulled us to sleep as the church that we have welcomed in the satanic and Marxist ideas of critical race theory and intersectionality. And if you're not becoming familiar with those, let me encourage you, let me exhort you to please do so. But it's not just in the church. It's in the family. Men have abdicated their role as spiritual leader of the home. And wouldn't you know it, it's not just prophet and priest. When I used to preach on the spiritual headship of the, of the male, of the father of the home, that there were four areas. There were prophet, priest, and there were protector and provider. Four biblical areas in which the husband and the father of the home is to serve biblically. I would always preface the sermon by we never really have to worry about protector and provider. But that is no longer the case. Now, even as men within the home, we face even the abandonment of the role of protector and provider to say nothing of prophet and priest. And we seek to not even train our boys to not just be spiritual men, but to be men at all. Beloved, it is before our eyes It is before our eyes. Understand today, the one sin brought death to all despite us having yet to physically commit a sin. Think of the weight of that. Think of the utter devastation of sin that it is so heinous that Paul says, when Adam sinned, we all sinned. How do you know that this occurred, Trey? Because in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells us that we were all born dead in our sins and trespasses, that we are born in our sins, which should cut us to the very depth of our being. And yet, what is our response? Paul goes on to describe us as children of wrath. So not just the point that we are born in our sins, but that we live as children of wrath. In other words, not only are we born in sin, beloved, but we ourselves willingly sin each and every day. We seek to disobey God. We seek to de-God God. We seek to place ourselves in the place of God. Beloved, hear me today. The first man lost everything. We lost everything. We must ever be aware that the wages of sin, the wages of sin is always, always, always death. Always. The result of your sin, which is why it is so grave and so heinous, The wages of sin is always death. And beloved, if the Scriptures left us here, we would have no hope. We would have no hope. We would walk out of the door today condemned in our sin, having no purpose and no point for being here. But praise God, Paul now brings another man on the scene. Amen? Amen. For just as the first man brings death, beloved, the second man brings life. Paul states first and foremost that the free gift, I had you underline it earlier, Paul states the free gift is not like the trespass. See what he says. Verse 15, the free gift is not like the trespass. The free gift is not like the trespass. There are day and night differences as there should be. This is not a parallelism that is occurring here, but rather it is a comparison of the lesser to the greater. So what can we infer from this? What conclusions can we immediately draw if the free gift is not like the trespass? We can draw that if the sin brought curse, the gift will bring blessing. If the sin brings bondage, the gift will bring freedom. If the sin brings condemnation, the gift will bring justification. If the sin brings death, the gift, praise God, will bring life. Life, beloved. However, in all of that, don't miss this. Don't miss what verse 16 says. Look at verse 16. He says, And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Beloved, hear this today. Paul says that the one gift brings justification despite you having committed a multitude of sins. What does he mean by this? It's a writing of the wrong, yes, but, but there's so much more here. We must understand that not only was the free gift not like the trespass in type, but the free gift is not like the trespass also in effect. What he means is this is not a one-to-one ratio here. Because we would naturally think, oh, okay, okay. So Christ's one work simply righted the disobedience of Adam. Now, yes, it did do that. That is true. But beloved, may we never forget about my sin. May we never forget about your sin. May we never forget about our sin. Look at the grace of God and the power of Christ's work. At the cross, Christ just didn't take your original sin, your sin nature. He took it all. If you are in Christ today, He has taken your sins. Your sins have been paid past, present, and future. He has substituted Himself for you. He became like you. He took upon Himself your punishment for your sins. Remember what Adam did? Remember what Adam did? He substituted himself for God. He asserted himself against God and put himself where only God belonged. But look at the work of Christ, beloved. Look at the work of Christ. God substitutes Himself for man. God becomes man. And then God sacrifices Himself for man and puts Himself where only man deserves to be. I deserve to be on that cross. You deserve to be on that cross. And yet God in His grace and mercy says, No, for my people I will go to the cross. And I will pay their sin debt. It's the divine exchange whereby Christ takes your sin and gives you His righteousness within by faith deems you righteous in the eyes of God. You are reconciled to God. The Bible says in, in, in the first part of Romans chapter 5, you are at peace with God. And that's not just, a well, I, I'm peace, peaceful with God. No, no. It is a war term, which means you are not in His enemy. You are at peace with Him. Adam was the root of all humanity. All sinned and fell when He sinned. Christ is the root of the new humanity. This is why He is the Savior for the world. There is no other name in which we might be saved. This is why the Bible uses the term born again. This is why the Bible uses the term that we are a new creation in Christ. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. How does He do that? Paul tells us, for our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, beloved, we need to understand the work of Christ we need to understand and see today that the work of Jesus Christ on the cross actually accomplished its intent. That it wasn't just an act of love. It wasn't just an act of martyrdom but rather when Christ said, it is finished, there was a transaction that took place between the work of Christ and God whereby He bought a people for Himself that we may believe in Him and have eternal life and be reconciled to Him forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We sing about it. Oh, victory in Jesus! My Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with His redeeming blood. Victory in Jesus. How does this affect our lives today? How does this play out in our life today? Well, let's go back to our three areas. In in society, what does this mean? What does the victory of Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection, what does this mean, this atoning work? What does this mean for us today? It means that in society, we can seek to have redeemed, born-again believers in positions of government. Amen? That we can seek to have born again believers in positions of government. That that is possible by the grace of God. Brother Danny prayed this in his prayer that even before he asked for wisdom for our government leaders. Lord, save them. Change their heart from the inside out. Give them a heart that loves Christ and loves the Lord. And then give them spiritual wisdom from on high. It's a hope that the church can also speak. And by the church, I mean us as individuals, that we can also speak with our money on what is and what is not acceptable in society. We are called to do that, by the way. But what about the church? What about the church? The hope of Christ gives us comfort that though it may be foolishness to the world, we can believe and proclaim the promise that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God being preached and proclaimed. Not moralistic, therapeutic deism. Not your best life now. Not a feel-good message We can cease the true foolishness of simply trying to modify our behavior through making sure that you feel good about yourself. And we can call you to repentance and for heart change that can only be brought about by the Spirit of God. And lastly, as families, we can train our children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We can be transparent with them. And be honest with them that we are not perfect. That we are fallen sinful creatures as parents in need of a Savior just as they are. We can admit our own sin before them and we can display to them what it means to be a godly woman and a godly man. All of this. All of this can occur, beloved, because of the wonderful grace of God through The atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, grace. God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. All our sin. Now beloved, here's the gospel call. But before I conclude, I, I must be certain to mention one thing. And for those of you who have taken three circles, and for those of you who haven't, I pray that you do, but for those of you who have taken three circles, you know that I have missed one thing in the presentation of the gospel. Because I have not completely presented the gospel to you until I mentioned to you one thing. That though Christ died on a criminal's cross, And He was buried in a tomb and a stone was rolled over that grave. Three days later, Christ rose from the dead. Defeating death, hell, and the grave forever. Not just for Himself, but for all of those who would call out to Him in repentance and faith. You see, beloved, for just as you cannot have a resurrection without a death, the gospel never speaks of a death without a resurrection. We are a resurrected people. We are a people of hope that though hell may come in its fire and in its fury to this world, death cannot touch us. We are victorious in Christ now and forevermore. Christ has won the victory. Christ has won the war. So what is the call today? It's very simple. It's foolishness in the eyes of the world. Repent and believe. Turn from your way of seeking to de God God and turn to the one and only Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and worship Him and be Him, be obedient to Him. Believe in His salvific work. Believe in His atoning work for you and His righteousness. And by faith, He will cover you with His righteousness. You will be justified by faith in Christ and His work. Paul says in Romans chapter 4, he states this, that righteousness will be counted to us who not do the right thing, not say the right thing, but who believe in Him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Is that you today? Is that you? Have you been supernaturally transformed by the power of the Spirit of God? Have you been given a new heart? Have you repented of your sins and trusted in the work of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, for your standing before God? If not, I pray that you would do that today. That you would fall before the living God and confess your sin and ask forgiveness from Him. What you will find, beloved, is complete atonement and complete victory. You will find the finished work. Now, what does that look like? Well, we're going to participate in the picture that God Himself through Christ has given us by celebration of the Lord's Supper. For those who are not in Christ and are here today, you are about to witness a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ where we will take two elements, the bread and the blood which Christ Himself represents, or the bread and the wine which Christ Himself represents, His body and His blood. And by partaking of these elements, we do not crucify Christ over and over again. No, we remember His death. We remember the finished work. And then we celebrate and look forward to His soon return as Christ Himself promised we would. But Paul gives us a stern warning. For the unbeliever, he says, Repent and trust in Christ by faith. Come to Christ and be baptized. And then you can participate in this event because it's a demonstration of your faith. And apart from faith, this this feast is meaningless. Apart from faith, this feast becomes a curse upon you because you're making a mockery of the blood of Christ and the work of Christ. But He also gives a stern warning for believers. He says, believers, before you participate in this act, examine yourself. Examine yourself and, and to, to be sure that there is no sin underlying within you. Now you say, no, Trey, how can I possibly think of every sin that I've committed? I'm still a sinner. And that is the, that is the case. But what He calls us to is to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. To see if our faith is in the completed work of Christ alone. That if we have a a sin against our brother, or if we ourselves are in sin, that we would confess that before Christ and make it right within the eyes of God. And then we would participate in this feast. This is an act of worship, beloved. Christ, the living God, is going and is already here by His Spirit, is going to further meet with us as we feast together. So I'm going to ask the praise team to come at this time. Musicians to come at this time. And we're going to sing. And Brother Brian's going to be down here at the front. I'm going to pray and then we're going to enter into a time of examination. Brother Brian will be here if you need to speak with him. The invitation is for all to come. Repent to Christ and believe in Him for salvation or furthering your sanctification. The call is simple. I need the every hour. Do you need Him? Do you need Him? Let's stand together as I pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful Lord's day, Lord. Thank you for your word that cuts us to the heart. It cuts us to the quick, Lord. Now by the power of your spirit, change hearts and lives as we seek to believe in your promises. Forgive us where we have failed you, Lord, as we in just a few moments come before this table and feast together as brother and sister in Christ. And we see and picture Your finished work, Your death, burial, and resurrection whereby we know we have reconciliation with God. Speak to us today, Lord, and we give You all of the honor and all of the glory. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. Would You come as we sing?